Hey guys, welcome to the Double Fine Action Cast. This is part two of our Composers podcast featuring Austin Wintry, Peter McConnell, Brian Min, and uh, me, Chris Remo. So uh, here you go, part two. This is the Q&A with questions from our community. Um, so we have some questions from people on the internet. Uh, oh, Greg Brown says, what's the weirdest instrument you've ever used? Also, do you have any temp music? Uh, are there examples of temp music you had that changed dramatically by the end of development? What's the weirdest instrument any of you guys have ever recorded? Well, on Journey, actually, I've used it a few times, but um, I've used a serpent a few times, which is a – they were built – What is a serpent? It, serpent is a, is a medieval. They were invented around 1580, and they're like a – usually oh, trombone yeah. players are the yeah. ones that play them because mm-hmm. the mouthpiece is sort of like a trombone. Mm. But it's actually more like a giant recorder that curbs because oh. Oh, it weird. has big – it's just a big huh. tube that's bending, and they have big finger holes yeah. just like a recorder. But wow. it – Trombonists typically, what like, like, like? All, like, and there's only about 50 people in the world that that play it um, <laughs> because it's such an esoteric, and they're so sure. hard to play. They but it's like a brass. It's like, yeah. a, it's like a like a like a brass instrument. It, um, it sounds, it? yeah. I mean, it kind it, it is sort of uh, it's played by brass players, but just you would not confuse it for like a trombone sure, or sure. tuba. I mean, just the um, embouchure was like is very similar to. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And sure. so I used. It's funny because I had five soloists on journeys. Cello, viola, flute, harp, and serpent, uh, <laughs> and uh, and most people don't reckon that most people think they're hearing synth when they're hearing the really? journey, yeah. um, uh-huh. and and part of that. I mean, is, what wind instrument does it sound most similar to? It, it kind of sounds like a broken uh, tuba or something. <laughs> I mean, they're really hard <laughs> yeah. to control. I have to listen for this now, and that sounds. It's in all the underground dark cave uh-huh. okay. stuff. I'm trying uh, to remember, uh, and I, maybe I do remember that weird thing. Well, and I in. wrote them, and I wrote them yeah. in like three and four and five part sort of corrals too. So <laughs> it just sounds like this kind of wall, and, mm. and um, so that was that was a really cool That's cool awesome. one to uh, awesome. to write for. I would I'd say a couple. Um, one one was uh, doing Grim Fandango. Uh, the one of the reed players, Ralph Carney, who played bass clarinet mostly, and and also Barry Sachs, he had this thing that he had invented called a that he called a slide clarinet. And um, huh. you know, do you know the, the bone wagon music? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, that okay, kind of weird yeah. kind of theremin mm-hmm. thing, thing in the yeah. sound. Yeah. That is a, that's a slide. That's a, 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 a clarinet reed with this sort of slidey thing. That it sounds sort of like mm-hmm. a. Is it sounds like sort of like a kazoo? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's kind, kind of kazooey yeah. sounding. I always. Uh, it's funny. I realize yeah. that I always wondered what that was, and I kind of. It's a sort of yeah. My wandering. Huh. Uh, uh, Slip my mind, but that's uh, how did he build it? How he did just he... Uh, just it was just it had a was he getting a lot of calls for slide yeah. clarinet and was like, damn, that doesn't exist. I better build one. I th- I think he was just into different sounds. That's and awesome. And and, uh, and uh, so that that was one. And then and then on calling our car, calling all cars, which you mentioned earlier, um, all the rhythm section. I guess you can tell it's my face, right? Yeah, you can hear this like the right. So the vocal percussion, and then and then the the bass is my nose. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that. (laughs) So, so uh, big recording budget on that. Yeah, yeah, it was huge. I mean, it was like you know. And then when we went into overtime, it was really yeah, yeah. just unforgiving to Uh, the contractor. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, that's pretty awesome. I had no idea. Chris, do you have any unusual? Um, I don't. I have not had the. 
good fortune to work in as, as many different situations as you guys have. Uh, I guess what comes to mind for me, this is not super weird. This is for a game that never ended up coming out, but it, it uh, for the percussion, I had this, um, this huge pillow in my apartment that I really liked the sound of when I hit it with like a huge... Uh, like a, a huge uh, ladle from my kitchen, and it had this. Really, that sounds like, like something you discover in a fit of rage. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. And you're like, actually, well, I'm just one of those guys who like. I love cool. playing drums, but I don't have a drum set in my apartment, so I'm constantly playing percussion on just anything that yeah. I can, and like yeah. fit the sort of recording in my brain, like how things, you know, what sounds cool. And I remember just recording the bit, like the sort of in quotes bass drum part on this huge pillow, this big thumping pillow. Awesome. And then, you know, did some amount of, of post processing on it, obviously, to to give it a bit more uh, in the low end. But like but uh, I did that and then I and I kinda just got into that for that track and then just ended up doing all the percussion with stuff for my kitchen, like a, a you know, I a, a big saucepan and that I that I would hit for like I had this and it was all right. things from my kitchen that I all just put together. And ah, just, that's cool. That's yeah. very cool. So you didn't, you, didn't, you didn't have some smart producer saying, hey, that kick drum sounds a little pillowy. <laughs> <laughs> smart producer? That's funny. I, <laughs> wait a minute. I didn't mean it by that. <laughs> oh, There's boy. A, that's actually a... You can in, edit that out. In... Uh, in Goldsmith's uh, Planet of the Apes, they mm-hmm. do that. with They have these right. metal mixing bowls that they laid out on the floor. And mm. Emil Richards was playing them with marimba mallets. And so he's like, and it makes this really crazy. Oh, he plays them really fast. Right, it's a yeah. scarecrow sequence when they mm-hmm. first uh, yes. crash land. On Sly 4, we recorded a, um, a balaphone. I have no idea what it is. Oh, a bal- it's, a, it's, a, um, it's basically looks like a, a caveman's um, marimba. Like a slate, like, yeah, like no, it's no, it's 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 separate logs tied to a tied to a large frame oh, that looks ba- so basically cool. sort of like a like a like a uh, you know like a, a xylophone. Or so it's a, sort of a rounded xylophone, or okay, maybe sure. no, I'm not sure whether that was rounded or not. Some of them are anyway. And uh, the guy was like, you know, I'm not sure that this has all the. Uh, it, this was coincidentally for caveman music, so. Uh, uh, the guys, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure we have the all the pitches. I'm not sure we have all the pitches in your score on this instrument. I'm like, don't worry, <laughs> it's fine. The F sharp can go. The pitches missing, are yeah. just they're just suggestions. So this yeah. this was one of the Sly games you said. Yeah, that's yeah. the most recent one. Okay, I mean, cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Another Go Twitter ahead. question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is actually, I'd be very interested to hear this one. The Justin Taylor Miller says, uh, "What is the craziest slash funniest critique you have ever received <laughs> from a fellow dev?" It is really hard to but describe. But that's the thing: is the person is just grasping for vocabulary, but yeah, but right. whatever it is they're looking for is something that they're earnestly looking for, mm-hmm. and then no matter how they described it, you know, it it's always that nice moment when they. You know, they're like, oh, I like, you know, because it's classic all the time. Like, oh, I don't like oboe. Don't write any oboe. And then the thing that they love is the oboe solo, right. you know. Mm-hmm. It's, they just don't realize what that, like, in their mind, the oboe is something else. Sure. And so it, you successfully did manage to somehow take that thing out. Um, that's, yeah. You know, that's really a very important skill to have, I think, as a composer is to, is if you're working on a kind of a, you know, a collaborative project, is to understand 
what people really mean, you know, when yeah. they say something, mm-hmm. when they, you know, I, I, can you make it a little more up tempo? Can mean, can you, can you, uh, can you slow the tempo down by a third and make it double time? You know, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, some of the way I used to communicate the composers were very confusing. And I myself, I mean, I have a music degree, so if anybody, I should know how to communicate to the composers, but I think I've, you lose, uh, that, sensibility or, or sensitive sensitivity to how they're thinking at times and so that's definitely sort of re um uh invigorated me to and re like find a way to if just better effectively communicate to the composers uh and that's so key even somebody who's trained so i can only imagine how difficult it is for a person who doesn't have music training to try to to, to direct that so well, you know yeah. well it's like the the cliche is talking about music like dancing about architecture it's really true i i my my sort of answer to that question about the craziest critique i ever got it, it it's not it wasn't a critique but i remember there were a couple times while working on journey you know the creative director for those games is a guy Genova chen mm-hmm. and Genova is this like extreme he's like the guy in the matrix that sees the code and goes like <laughs> that's a redhead that's a blonde yeah, like right. he sees yeah. so beyond the he's so uninterested in just the technical achievement that all he cares about is the emotional experience yeah. mm-hmm. that he's like this zen spiritual game designer because him like being able to celebrate some breakthrough in particle simulation or whatever is completely boring to him. He's mm-hmm. like, well, how does that affect a human being? And so his notes are always coming from a place like that. And 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 so I actually in three years, I basically I wrote I did a ton of revisions, but they're always self imposed because the game was evolving so much. I was brought on so early that I would just feel for my own sake that the music didn't work anymore because now that part of the game is different. But the one time he ever, or a couple times he would give me feedback, um, I remember I'd call him and I'd say, okay, did you hear that latest thing here? And he says, yeah. I said, and, you know, what do you, what do you think? He said, well, do you think it's as good as it can be? Uh-huh. <laughs> They're like, Jesus, uh, no. Uh, and, uh, it's like this crazy Jedi mind trick. Where yeah, he, right, oh, he hasn't right. actually given me any feedback, but I'm yeah, like yeah. suddenly rewriting but it. But now and you're questioning it. everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and it actually was really amazing because it, oh, it, you would go and rewrite it and it'd be better and, and he yeah. wouldn't have actually identified uh, anything wrong with it. Uh, Tim does the same thing in a similar way. I'm sure you've experienced it that way. Well, he'd always be like, what... Do you think that it's good? <laughs> As like, well, what do you think, Tim? Is this, is this what you're looking for? It and makes you would, yeah. realize that there's it's a difference kind of... between seeking approval and actually feeling like you've made something. Yeah, that's yeah. really that's, that's <laughs> a huge thing. And yeah. oftentimes we don't realize that we're just looking for approval, and that right. we could write something mm-hmm. that's totally terrible and even know it is, but you're just like hoping that somebody likes it, and then you'll feel somehow sneak through. Yeah, yeah. And, and and it's really cool to work with people that are like, I don't. It doesn't matter even if I like it. It just matters if it's as good as you can do it, and uh, which is pretty serious business. Uh, no, that it is. requires a lot of confidence yeah. on his part as well. Yeah. Which yeah. was terrifying, of course, because yeah. you're like, "Holy crap, he's empowering me to ruin this game," uh, <laughs> uh, you know, by yeah. by by just yeah. trusting if I think it's done or not. It's yeah. like, yeah. that's God. That, even just uh, the humble whatever thing that I did for, for the cave was just I was just constantly trying to ask myself, well, since nobody's going to really reject or um, accept it, you know, and the limitations of the budget and the time constraint I had, I just I was just at one point just writing stuff that I just wanted to hear, and the opening cue for the cave is super bizarre in fact just to tell you maybe you can believe this out like i think sega hated it <laughs> in fact they had a note saying to turn it down 
and to turn it off. <laughs> and then and then Camden said no because <laughs> I sort of ha- I couldn't make the decision on my own. So I'm like, well, who's the lead sound designer? It's Camden. It says no. It's it's and it's actually kind of bizarre. That's awesome. But I just that got is. to keep it. <laughs> that's, that's great. It though. totally doesn't make any sense because I just wanted to. This is how I'd want to write it. And the cave is sort of like his voice is very disembodied and sort of zany and quirky. And they want us. In fact, they I think they try to rip on that by doing one of the follow-up trailers and it was more of what you would expect sort of a kind of a quirky kind of something that actually P would probably be <laughs> extremely good at uh, which I failed completely I just did something completely opposite and I actually I, if personally like if Genova was standing there asking well did you think like yes that's as about as good as I can get it I really like it doesn't necessarily and then I feel like if it really fits what that is but it may not be the best thing, and, and some people may hate it. It's the interesting thing is just that I had the opportunity. Ron gave me the opportunity to, to explore that whatever creative chance, and I just I, I, I leapt forward, and, that's, and that that's was amazing. Really that was, I, I remember getting I remember getting a, some kind of a, a viewer mail, as it were, at LucasArts saying that I should be sent to the to the um, mail room for something. Wow. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> do you remember what it was for? Yeah, yeah I do. It was, it, was, uh, it was for doing a heavy metal version of the Imperial March. And oh, that wow. just did not. <laughs> it did not. That's the um, kind of thing that's gonna. Yeah, know, that gonna, that's gonna get some of. Yeah. The, where where yeah. was it? Where did they hear it? It, it was for Force Commander, and it was, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's. Uh, that's the type of material that has strong adherence. You know, people yeah. who really, yeah, really yeah, think, really feel like they own yeah. own what they, yeah. Yeah. which is, and, and they do to some degree. I mean. To me, it's, uh, I, I sympathize, but I thought it was cool anyway. Well, that's the that, thing. My know. attitude is probably what would be similar to your thinking was like you've like for those people that are obsessed with the Imperial March as you have it already in that right, form, right? And you know it inside. We all know it inside and out. Like it's it's such compelling music that it's it's worthy of being flipped on its head and and right. re-explored and and changed around. And yeah. a lesser piece would just sound like heavy metal it wouldn't feel like that piece in heavy metal you know in in a metal kind of context there was a there was a second half of one of those questions that was uh are there examples where the music you started with changed very dramatically by the time by the time it shipped. Uh, certain, I mean, uh, on almost every game and film that I've done, it's usually just a more refined version of where we started. But on Journey, there were definitely some places that were, ra- especially that big grand finale ending that seems yeah. to be most people's favorite. Mm-hmm. The earlier drafts of that were radically. I, I, I went. I rewrote it like five million times, mm-hmm. trying to find the right. Everything about it. I, it was. I, it's one of those things. To this day, despite the popularity of that cue, that section in particular, I can't quite convince myself that it's 100 percent there. Simply because I looked at it from so many angles before arriving at that, that I saw like, oh, that one has some interest to it, and it's maybe not quite right. And so, I, you know, because yeah, there were some where it was like very surreal and slow moving and like almost like and i was going to go just choir in like a very kind of humming way and like totally different from uh not not a variation on what's there but fundamentally different yeah. and uh it was the most i've ever had that experience and, and what made you decide to do the rewrites what because 
I, I often have the experience that ah, this this thing is is this is it. I'm you know I'm I'm kicking butt here, and then and then I will I will watch it with the visuals, or I will watch it, or I'll experience it in the game, or some I'll just experience it in context and go. You know, no, that's that ain't working. That's basically what it was, because I play tested the game essentially every day for the whole three years. I had a test kit from Sony, and I would I would have it rigged into one of my you know monitors so I could yeah. like, hit play and mm. DP and then play the game and do like a poor man's build. Mm-hmm. And then I'd send them a mock up. They'd bake it in, and I could actually uh, play it for real as part of the build and 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 just doing that process over and over. And so. It would just it just wouldn't feel right. Like it would be exactly what you just said. Yeah. I'd, I'd compositionally get it in a place that felt fine, I guess. But then as soon as I played the game, because I would play up to it, you know, I'd like jump. I'd, I'd you know using the little debug tools, I'd get myself twenty percent short of where that cue was supposed to come in, and I'd play into it. And then when it would come in, it would always be a letdown. But it would be a letdown for all these different reasons each time. <laughs> and so. Um, it was a te- and, it, and it was in the gameplay too. They on their end on the development side, they were struggling with the game, the gameplay of the ending just as much, and so we were help trying to help each other kind of find it. But it was sort of like two, it was like a spotter and a sniper both in pitch blackness trying to like help each other. <laughs> like we were, we we knew that we were there for each other, and but we weren't one hundred percent sure where the target was for a lot for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, and so. You know, it was it evolved a lot, but yeah, just mainly because it it was not right. It, it wasn't that we knew exactly what it was supposed to be, and we just weren't delivering or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. That's but that's the most extreme by far I've ever had that happen. You know, because they they built this amazing climax in the game, and then there was supposed to be this final yeah. kind of coda, and it was like, how the hell do we like top what we just came from? Right. As an emotional experience, so. Yeah, I, I will say most of the time I trust my first instinct on things. It just, it, it, I usually f- find I luck out with it. Are you the kind of composer that so, some composers like sit there and hash it out, and there's like their their manuscript, no matter how they actually write, either metaphorically or not, their yeah. manuscript is like covered in things crossed out and scratched out. No. Or no, so are, do you? Do no, you like I just say uh, it's just how it's ready to come. Yeah, out? I just, I just it, there, you know. <laughs> okay, there's the thing. There's the thing that's yeah, supposed yeah, to come exactly. after the thing. And if there, and if I can't think of the next thing, then I can't think of the next yeah, thing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I'm, I'm an elbow grease yeah, yeah, guy. I'm yeah, kind of the opposite. Yeah, yeah. I can't. If it comes out, it in no way suggests. It, it, by virtue of it coming out, does not in any way indicate that it's good. <laughs> but the, uh, but the thing is, but it's not always that way. I will say there there I've had I've had experiences where the cue just happens, and then I've had experiences where it was very hard, hard a hard one fight, and and I, I, I'd say. Probably the first thing happens more often than the second, but I wouldn't say which one has actually gotten the best results because I sure, think they yeah. some both, sure, yeah. both sometimes have gotten yeah. really good results. The stubbornness could actually you know serve you well because well I mean that's the first one I wrote and that's just the way it is and why you know and that's actually that's why I refused to rewrite the the queue. In fact, I could have right. and I had a little bit of time and they left it completely up to me and I just go no I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. I, I took up I, I borrowed a page from McConnell. <laughs> I said, no, I'm not well, going to do it because this is the right and I like it. And it, it may not be b- better, but it's just it was just the choices that I was left to wasn't wasn't I couldn't determine that it was going to be uh, uh, you know like better. It was more like just different versions a segue. Now I'm not saying that's the right way. I think I think there are some 
Definitely. The elbow grease way, I think, is also sort of my take on it as well. But, I mean, I, I see what you're meaning by well, that. Well, we've also, had, we've also had experiences I know where, you, where, where you've said, you know, you'd really like to hear some, you know, a different approach to something. And I'll go, God, you know. Damn it. And then, you know, I sit down and go, you know what? He's right. Isn't that the best? <laughs> yeah, that happens all the time. Especially, yeah, it really does. Uh, that happens a lot on, on when I do films, a lot more than on, than on games, because for some reason, the, like, you're, I, I, mean, I don't know if it's just the, by chance of the kind of games that I've worked on, but I've, I've tended to be kind of left with the like if it's if it's ready you know we trust you that it's ready on not just working with Genova but that's been kind of more or less the way it's usually been where if i felt strongly they'd be like okay no that's we you know that's why we hired you is because you're going to have opinions and but on film there you know it's the dynamic is often is often a bit different but i have found time and again when somebody's like could you go take another crack at this cue i really was I, and they'll like throw something your way that really is quite a change from what you were picturing right, right. and you sit there and you grow grumbling into it because you arrived at that on accident, that like, was my vision. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. an accident, you know. <laughs> and I've had it. It's been one of those funny things where I've made I've made that phone call a million times where I was like, I got to tell you, I was hating you, and then I yeah. went and implemented yeah, yeah, that yeah. suggestion of yours. And I got to say, I have to f- express my immense gratitude because you have made this thing. You've taken us right. down a path that's yeah. so much better than right. I would have on my own. Yes, it's kind of the fundamental reason to work collaboratively with others in general. Oh, you know, is they're going to take you somewhere that if you just sat at home and wrote a symphony or a chart for jazz band, or you were just writing music 100 percent for yourself, not accountable to anyone else's taste, you know, you're going to just you're limited by your own imagination. And hopefully, that's a huge imagination. It's not a, a you know a limitation in a in a real con, like constricting sense. But it's certainly going to be more so than if you add this X factor of somebody coming from totally other perspective who's not inside your head at all, just throwing things down into the machine and seeing like where the sparks start flying <laughs> yeah. uh, and which conveyor belts suddenly stop moving. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It can add really yeah. a lot of yeah. cool I, ideas. I'm uh, I'm doing the the soundtrack for a game right now called Gone Home, which is a like a small, a relatively small game, and. Uh, um, it's all the music is is super pulled back and really ambient. I'd never done anything like that before, mm-hmm. and I remember I kept getting feedback from the guy, the designer and writer of the game, Steve Gaynor, who's one of my close friends, an incredibly talented guy, um, worked on some really amazing games, and he every every piece of feedback was like pull it back more, like cut out more of that melody, just back and back and back. And I remember there was a point like Sounds halfway like through Gilbert. on some of the original, some of the first <laughs> tracks, and I'm like. What is he t- like? This is, there's going to be nothing left in this. Like, there's actually going to be no music left. In this. And like, yeah. But it, but I mean, I was I was wrong. Like I you know I he 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 was just like no, this is what it needs. And I had just never done anything that was that sparse before. Yeah. And I I remember having like just having to push myself into a totally different mental space of like this this is not like your music that is like someone's going to go buy a soundtrack of this and just listen to it. This is for this particular project and like what you're doing right here. Like this needs to just entirely support what's going on, what's right. going on in the game, like completely, like mm. this is to a higher degree than usual. Yeah. And, uh, and what that means is like, just let it settle into the world completely on its own. And like, that was actually really valuable for me to just keep getting that feedback and then kind of get over the hill and be like, yeah, okay. And then from that point on, like the rest of the cues went, a lot faster because I I had just sort of internalized 
that continual pushing back into something that allowed me to just work in that space. Yeah, I, I love just hearing uh, just insights about like the way you ach- achieve some creative end based on like the the, f- the feedback process because that's been so interesting to me. And again, I, I've I've been a big fan of Edwin Cadmall and his writing, you know, over at Pixar, and and he talks about that very process. In fact, there's that book, The Pixar Creative Process, which sort of transformed my life actually, and uh, and that's very the same thing. And and on my end of it as well. I mean, I've I've straddled the fence on both sides where it's helpful. But, you know, like just uh, the, the flip side of that, Chris, is is more like, well, listening to the composer's feedback and like their voice uh, is really like just as influ- uh, important where you can influence. Well, I have this strong opinion that this should be a, you know, whatever electronica bebop mashup and then you were like no and the composer were like no actually this is what it speaks to me and and the uh, there are definitely uh, creative directors or audio directors have a very specific rail and you just want to you have that track that you do and you feel like that's that's you're being true to something because you have the notion where you're tapped into some creative pro, uh, like feedback process that the composer doesn't and that's just not true because you have the same I'm seeing the same game you're seeing you're coming up with this solution and uh, just leveraging all those kinds of connections uh, I, th- I think one thing that uh, we as composers at least I, I, when, I, when I was young I think this happened maybe more often is that we don't realize what a community event music is i mean it, it's it's it all you know w- w- especially you come out of music school and 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 you know you have this sort of uh you you have this you know you have these big names that are on pedestals and you you study every little thing about you know mozart's life and what he was eating when he wrote this sen- <laughs> symphony or some such thing and and, and it all and, and it all seems so inevitable and so and so and so like you know divinely inspired and of course it is divinely inspired and in, 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 on, on on some level and, and and there's truth to that but you know mozart also had to please uh had to please his patrons and 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 this is a good thing because it meant he was interacting with the society. He was making. He wasn't just making music for, for out of thin air for for nobody. He was making it for people to well, hear. He had to contend with industry and creative constraints. Yeah, yep. and, there's really only one composer in the whole catalog of like acclaimed composers who have asserted their place in history, who basically operated outside the system. But <laughs> but the thing is, their music is. A reflection of that, so that th- which is Charles Ives. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. That's nice. a good. That's yeah, a good. That's yeah. a good. Uh, uh, that's a good example. Yeah. But yeah. It, but it but it only furthers your argument because his music. He's like the counterexample of the same concept that his music is very reactionary to being outside the system. Right. And so he's participating in the community by. By being uh, by by this sort of almost deliberate distancing from it. I'm and, a huge fan and, of Charles Ives, by the way. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I mean Char- <laughs> Charles Ives is one of the most uh, one of the concerts that changed my entire life was when I was like 18 years old. I was went to Symphony One or Sim- I forget what Symphony like where the the car- like the his two his his music and then it's sh- it's showcasing a band that goes through the yeah, orchestra. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean you thought Aaron so, Copeland's yeah. uh, like El Salomeco had it like no, weird yeah. time so yeah. Charles Ives score. I remember thinking, what the hell is this? this is, yeah, it's no, pretty it's, amazing it's, stuff. It's, his father was a very odd music educator and would like say things like, I want you to sing this major scale, and then he would play 
in a different key along with him, oh, and his brain was wired to hear polytonally yeah. uh, yeah, yeah, from yeah. an early age. Why on earth his father did that? <laughs> right. No, I have no idea. Yeah. Mm, there, was also, just... there was also a story about him, a sort of seminal music experience that he had hearing a, a band rehearsing while while yeah, choir yeah. was practicing yeah. in the church mm-hmm. and, yeah. and, and 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 getting into the, the overlap of the, the original, original. Yeah. that was like you know supposedly um uh i think it was i don't remember who it was if it's yo-yo mar somebody claimed that like growing up there they had a bad radio uh-huh. that would hear they would get multiple channels of like a classical station and a local right yeah you know, the same same idea that they, <laughs> they're trying to listen to one thing but they can't they have to hear multiple at a time in order to hear anything and uh, yeah, no, I'm one of the, I, I, when I was like 18, I went to Carnegie Hall and the, the Pierre Boulez was conducting the London Symphony and the Rite of Spring. And it, it changed my life. And one of the coolest things about that concert was that they, they go up on the stage and it was a whole big celebration of the Rite of Spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if it was like the 90th anniversary, because this year is the 100th anniversary of it. Uh, so it was maybe the 90th anniversary mm-hmm. or something like that. And um, they said, um, um, they said, you know, who is sitting in seat, you know, F. Five or whatever it was, and someone like meekly raises their hand, and they're like, "You're sitting where Charles Ives sat alongside his protege Elliot Carter at the American premiere in 1916. Oh, wow. oh, the first cool. performance ever oh, in the United awesome. States was in this room, and they were in your seats. Is that the riot? Is the when the riot happened? Or I that was in Paris. That was in Paris. Yeah, 1913. You have destroyed tonality. There's an amazing French yeah. film that came out a couple years ago called Coco Chanel and Igor Stravinsky, and the oh, opening yeah. like 10 minutes is a recreation of that ah, event. Really? And it's, I want to see it's it. so well done. Where you see That's the cool. audience just like breaking down in response to the like erotic. Uh, choreography of, oh, of the see. ballet and the, <laughs> the right. original doors. Like, oh, he's going to say the words, bleep it out. Oh, that. I forget yeah. what that was. That when the it's doors. So, uh, it's so good. And it's pre World War One too. I mean, it, oh, it's yeah. uh, almost a harbinger. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Um, well, yeah, that was. I mean, the last vestiges of the old world, kind of. Yeah, which is why uh, it's hilarious to me every time I uh, like when I watch trailers. And trailer music, and just there's such an opportunity to. Uh, it's just a weird that just just keep copying the same kind the of trailers music. Trailers are getting weird. It seems like trailers just all use not just the same kind of music, but the actual same tracks. <laughs> well, that's yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's I'm just well, what works. Well, yeah, well. That, that's what that always. Uh, so you know, again, that's being the the brand of DF or whatever. The, I, I was the counter brand. You know, we yeah. were joking that that for the end of the double fine trailer, we should have Tim going. <laughs> <laughs> at the end, yeah, he would just just he would because just, you have to have he that. would just voice the Inception <laughs> like Inception. Did you hit. see the South Park where they uh, had the uh, sure. in- Inception yep. where they're they're pulling the sheep's tail and it's going? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's so good. Yeah. yeah, no, but it's true. That's that's part of what's so cool about this place is that where so much of the world is um, not just in games, but there's a, there's a lot of kind of homogenizing. Uh, and that trailer sound is so so dominating. Of of it's you know Hans Zimmer, yeah. like him or not, he, yeah, he's yeah. so he's by far the most influential composer uh, around. Is. Yeah, and um, and and uh, he uh, has has sort of created this taste among composers and game designers and filmmakers, and where that's sort of just like the presumed sound of what big lush music sounds like and a lot of people really want that and it's so uh 
It's so that's what I really love about this place. Is, yeah. is it, and, and not because I think that that's crap. I have plenty of scores in that vein that I think are great. Yeah. But it's like it's not the only thing I ever want to listen to. And I love that there is there are these little pockets, and you yeah. guys are probably the most noteworthy among them that that actually prize, uh, you know, like. Other well, other yes. val- uh, values, but especially you know, it overlaps a lot with with what I really love, and that's yeah, good too. Because like with with that, I mean, because I think for me, what I didn't want to do is uh, counter like sort of be too counter reactive to what's going on. Because you know, then then you then we just become like we just want to be hip because we want to be hip, and just everything is popular is bad, and that's just a sort of a juvenile way to approach yeah, it. Yeah, totally agree. There's a place for everything, and so like uh, a lot of times when I talked to Tim, and we had this sort of like music meeting and just you know he, he likes to do that he likes to keep abreast of basically you know all the all the uh, composers and you know the music is such a branding kind of de- a company defining thing the real joy of of working with double fine is is uh you know that you're not you're, you're not reacting to something you're acting you know yeah, yeah, you're yeah. you're doing you're doing something that is that is its own statement um, independent of those other statements, yeah. and I mean the stuff that Peter that you do, and, and any num- any number of your games, and certainly something like Connect Party. I mean th- that to me, the music in those games seems so far removed from kind of the Zimmer axis in either direction. Right? <laughs> yeah. not, oh God, you yeah. couldn't. I don't. I'm not saying that a pejorative. I'm just saying like yeah, yeah. there's just not. You couldn't interpret that as a reaction to or a counter to or anything. It just kind of exists on a separate musical right. axis. It's a, little, it's a different thing. orthogonal, yeah. No, totally. that's, what, that's, what it, that's why it works, you know, is it's it's not you not doing that. Exactly. Thing. Right, right. Doing yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. What uh-huh. seems yep. right. You're starting from yeah. a different point entirely. Yeah. And, and it's super, it's so exciting uh, to be able to uh, just work with Tim and, and, and him giving me sort of the ability to to act upon that, so, so I'm trying. I'm in this ab- ab- like absorption mode, and then in turn, just interacting with as many. Just you know, uh, just being able to work with Chris, and just seeing that's kind of seeing the talent that Chris has, and Peter just rekindling our old relationship, and then we're forming some new relationships here. Well, you know, there was a comment you made earlier about like when a when a composer would write a piece of music and have like a strong opinion about it, and maybe if it's sort of that music catches your collaborators off guard initially. Um, that magic thing can happen where the cue that was written can reveal something about the game that they're designing that they maybe didn't even mm. think about before. Yeah, right. yeah, that's an interesting point. And, and to me, that, that's such a magical thing because it shows in a very easily understandable way that the act of making something, it's like if this is the game in this weird, like I'm holding up my coffee cup right now. <laughs> yeah. The radio actors here. Um, uh, I need a sound effect. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. If I hold this, this uh, uh, coffee cup, um, if this is the game in this abstract idea, it, it exists. Like if we're the four people making this game, it, it exists like right here at the intersecting point among our perspectives. It is not me that you're all somehow channeling through. And if I'm the creative director of the game, yeah. and you know, like you're the uh, you know sound designer, and you're the you know the writer, and you're the composer. Um, it's like it's the the creativity is there's like this it's like a it's this magic object that we are positioning all the people making in a circle around mm. so that everybody has their angle on it and so even though theoretically it's mine it's actually which is again I'm I'm gesturing air quotes <laughs> uh, if it's quote my game it's actually just like I'm I'm in a way sort of just arbitrarily the leader since it you, the, the ship needs some kind of captain but at the end of the day if it, it just fascinates me that 
like you, the composer, can reveal something about my idea I didn't even know, but mm-hmm. which feels mm-hmm. intuitively right. So it's yeah. like this third person entity. Uh, like when we were talking earlier, and I endlessly was gushing about my love of, you know, a lot of uh, Pete and Tim's prior work, but above all, I think Grim Fandango. The way I like to say that is, uh, uh, you don't make something like that. It's there. You just stay out of its way and prevent it, f- prevent your like ego from exerting on it and ruining it as it's being born, uh, because the thing is like perfect. It's like this immaculate conception thing yeah. that you are you are just staying out of its way as it comes barreling through because that thing needs to be be created. Hmm. And, well, sure, and, uh, you're, and you're seeing the thing specifically from the point of view of you know a game designer or a writer or whatever your craft is. And yeah. So like that, you know th- that le- you might have as the project lead, you might have the the fullest view out of anyone at the table, but you're still looking at it through that particular lens. And someone else looking at the same thing through their own creative lens, whatever it might be. That is cool. Like, you know, yeah. from my angle, I can see this, like, decaf shots, syrup little boxes here. Right. Maybe you can't see from your, your side of the, of exactly. the coffee cup. That, exactly. That, that is to me really, that, really, really profound. I, I, I That's actually quite, quite amazing. As somebody who can sort of, unfortunately, have the... Uh, maybe the ability to influence overly at times just because you know you have to funnel things and you have you know you have certain responsibilities but i love that because i think then it'll help me to understand well why did pete choose that (laughs) that weird thing no but that's amazing that's that's super profound just just like you know music just like music happens in a community uh you know that's the flip side you know that 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 the game reveals to the composer things about the score, and the score can the score likewise can because you come to yeah, as a composer, yeah. you come with a you know a fresh perspective to a certain degree. That's cool. You come you come in from the outside, and you say, "Well, this is mm-hmm. what this looks mm-hmm. like to me." <laughs> You're not saddled with the assumptions right. that resulted in the initial creation of right. Thing. You're only seeing yeah. whatever is there at the moment at which you come yeah. in. That's a really good way. To, and, that's, uh, and that's one of the things I, of course, enjoy Austin's company so much because he definitely is able to articulate those kinds of things that I sort of intuitively understood. But I think that helps me to just be a better channeler of creative energy that's floating around and so that's cool that's that's um yeah we'll learn something new today i mean because what that boils down to is it, it, it it's to me it's why i work so hard to try to be good at my craft side of what i do because at the end of the day the art side of it is that like non-intervention act right. the art is is it's it, the way i see it is if i have an idea that i want to express craft is just advancing my vocabulary so that i don't mm. say the sunset is pretty but i can say the burgundy overtones <laughs> in the clouds are why this is beautiful to me sure. you're just expanding your tool set so you can actually say what you really mean because that's pretty it doesn't actually mean it's not a simplification it actually means something different and uh mm. and so you know if so that at the end of the day it's like when you're working creatively with people the whole idea is that um i'm i I don't choose you to score my game because i think you're great it's because like you need to be great as this prerequisite the idea is uh you're gonna bring like I'm, i'm choosing your personality i'm choosing your taste and your perspectives to to bring to it because you're going to see this thing in a way that I that's fundamentally outside of my perspective. Yeah. And uh, per- perhaps even more crucially than that's pretty and that's not pretty because it's lacking those 
burgundy undertones in the clouds, that that's exactly what this needs yeah. to, become, to become beautiful. But yeah. you don't know that. You can't, of like, course, as of course. the creative yeah. designer, I don't know yeah. exactly yeah. what it's yeah. missing. Right, but you're it's trusting someone else to be able right. to identify right. that. Like, you know, right. That's amazing because, like, I think the times where you see product that just feels so constricted and like, wow, why did they make that sequel? And it's exactly the same as the one before. It's because I think all those things are being brought to them and then there is whatever that evil entity just goes no we want it exactly this way and just impose and literally just prevent the art from happening like you said you just (laughs) instead of letting it be you just know it's just going to be this that's Uh, why yeah wow that obsession over the craft then for me becomes because it's like born out of this fear because i'm like i'm you know it's like when you call or when someone calls you know and says i want you to work on this thing it's like when you call asking me to describe that sunset i'm I'll believe I'm being eloquent and I'll believe like I'm giving you the best of what my tool set has to offer. But then I like go to sleep at night and I toss and turn because I'm like, (laughs) what if what I thought was this eloquent thing? Like a year from now, I know I'm going to look back on that and say, I didn't know anything back then. (laughs) And so it's like this constant fear of like when the moment's there, am I am I ready for it? And just this perpetual belief of like, no, I'm not. (laughs) It's not possible to be. Uh, That's really cool because then that just again, that just reminds me to make sure, you know, I mean, it's the cliche of getting out of the way kind of a thing, but it really is, is there's a lot of truth to that because then you're, uh, again, that has to do uh, the way you're sort of describing that, that process or contribution is, is, uh, is pretty profound. So that's well, you want to have the skill to get out of the way deftly. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you, don't really wanna, well, well you don't really, you don't really, and it depends, you know, there's, there's, it depends a little bit also on the, on the, on the type of thing you're creating. I mean, you know, who is it that said, don't ever learn that fourth chord? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, but, but yeah, it, but it's sort of like a Bob Dylan sort of sounding uh, thing. It wasn't Bob Dylan. No, I don't know. Bob Dylan, I don't think, would say that. But there's, yeah. those, there's that famous uh, quote. It was like uh, Bob Dylan and Paul Simon backstage somewhere, somewhere uh-huh. where he said something like, I've run out of chords. Do you know any new ones or something like that? Uh, yeah. It was, but it's driving me nuts. But no, this is actually where I really admire your work because when people become really obsessed over trying to rise to the occasion technically it's really easy and i've certainly been guilty of this to forget that you're making music right and so when you li- listen back to the like monkey island and fate of atlantis and these scores that were you're not recording a brilliant musician and putting it in front of them and so much of what you're doing is like programming work and doing scripts and writing routines and doing all of those things and making the fm version sound as as as, as oh, not God, bad as, as not bad as possible the fact that you did that in a way that was technologically on a, a really high level and still sounded like music. The fact that those are I- pretty iconic scores um, is, is to me, that's really, really insane because it's like, it's like it's enough of a challenge to have to build the instrument, but to then actually write something and then play <laughs> yeah. it beautifully on that all in one go is is very very few people could have ever done that. Uh, and and to me that's it's really huge for for you know composers like me who have drawn a lot of years of inspiration from oh, that. Shucks, because, thanks. No, I mean it's true. I'm not meaning to put you on the spot, but I think that a lot of people would have like written some brilliant. Uh, script or code to set that thing up, but then they would have themselves not been a, like enough of a composer to then continue forward with that to same. Make the best use of those. Yeah, tools, no? you know, no. you so often see it as one or the other. You know, you get a great producer; they're not really a great composer, but they really know, like, if it's right or if it's wrong. You know, like if right. you if you play for them two different things. 
uh, you know, like you see it in the record industry all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's someone they couldn't write out that string chart, but they do have a great sense um, of that one's better than that one. Right. Um, it's a really rare thing to some for one person to be able to to be both of those things, uh, and it's well, pretty, pretty amazing. To I, me. I really appreciate what you're saying though about developing your craft because that's that is you just never stop doing that. You know, yeah. it, it is it is so important. Yeah. Cool. Well, I don't want to uh, I think, Austin, you've got a flight. I have to get back uh, to L.A. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. I'd like to catch, but... Um, I know. I could do this uh, all day. I know. It's super guys. fun. Yeah, thanks for coming. Very profound. I hope you, hope you work more with us in the future. Oh, yeah. Well, not sure. as much as I wish that. So, uh, <laughs> believe me, no. I mean, you know, like I said, especially because of the lineage of what I was just saying and of, of Tim's work, but then, you know, in the last year or so that Brian and I have known each other, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's not a lot of guys that I have this just immediate... Uh, shared uh, vision and kinship with uh, you know I mean it's I remember like I fell in love with the work of Joss Whedon uh, you know a number of years ago and it wasn't it wasn't just that I liked what he did but I, I felt like he told the kind of stories that I like being told mm-hmm. and that's how I feel about you guys here too you know where it's 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 uh, it's uh, you you just the, the kind of games that you just seem to intuitively like making no matter what your process is for how you green light projects and all of that it just whatever seems <laughs> to crazy. always inevitably rise to the top is like that's the kind of game that I feel like I need to be playing right now you know it's funny how that <laughs> how that seems to shake out um, and well, uh, so yes it's it, it's certainly it's certainly my most treasured you know relationship to to work with you guys and and uh no and, doubt that will uh, continue you know, for it's quite oh, yeah. some time. It's really, it's really, uh, it's really a privilege always. Mm-hmm.